Now, there are two types of trips. There are two types of trips. One type of trip is all about the destination. It's all about where you're going. I mean, when you get your ticket, you'll see it stamped or printed right on the ticket. And so it's, it's about, you know, that trip is about how fast can you get to this place. And so maybe it's a plane trip. Maybe it's a high-speed train trip. You know, but it's about all about getting there as fast as possible. But there's another kind of trip that also has a destination. But, but the point of this trip is not so much the destination. The point of this trip is what happens along the way. What you do along the way, what you see along the way, the fun that you have along the way. I mean, the, the, the point of this whole trip is, is, is what happens as you go along. And, and we call this kind of trip a road trip. That's a road trip. And you know, when you go through the Bible, what you begin to see in the, in the Bible, from really from the very beginning, from the time of Abraham all the way through, through the end of the scripture to the time of Paul and his missionary journeys. I mean, all, you know, all the figures, the men and women of the Bible, they don't have a destination. You know, it's to be at home with God. I mean, they have a destination. But really, when you begin to, to read about their stories, what you're reading about is the road trip. What you're reading about is what happened along the way. What you're reading about is, you know, what they've seen and what they've experienced and what they've said and what they've done. And, you know, it's all about the adventure. It's all about the road trip that really starts to, to make the story. And what begins to happen in the scriptures, what you and I are invited to do is to, is to read along and, and then to travel along with them to see how much they are like us or we are like them and... And, and as you read along and as you travel along, we, we learn about what it means to live out our faith on the road of life. I mean, you know, it's about this is how we live with one another. This is how we live with Christ, you know, on that journey that, that God gives us. And so it's, it's about, you know, the road trip. And so I love not the, the ninth verse that we read, you know, today. is uh, Abraham, it says, he journeys by stages. You know, it's kind of here, camping here, and then camping there, and camping. He's going by stages all the way through the promised land. And, and last week, I used this map. I want to use it again this week. We, we started out last week, number one, where, where Abram's uh, father, a guy named Terah, he has this idea that he wants to, to go to the promised land. And they all get up all the way to number two, which was the, the crossroads. And, and it was, as we saw last week, it's really the crossroads. It, it's kind of a jumping off point where you go up over the top and you leave behind everything that you've known. And, and basically what Abram's doing at, the, at that crossroads is a crossroads between his comfort zone and his courage zone. And, and so he's going to step out on faith. And so he steps out on faith and he comes down into the promised land, which is number three. And, and we read this morning about how he camps out at Shechem and, and uh, gets to the sacred spot there. And then he... he pulls up his tent stakes and he goes a little bit further. He finds a nice mountaintop campsite where it's Bethel on the east, uh, uh, Bethel on the west, I on the east. And you know, he's got his, his mountain. I can just kind of picture the tent site up there looking down at the, the two cities. That's nice. And he keeps on going down and says he's working down toward the Negev, which is kind of a, down there number five, uh, kind of moving south. And so he's traveling through the promised land. 
And as he travels through the promised land, as he goes on a road trip, as he goes on his road trip, there's a practice that he engages in. There's a pattern that's part of his life. And that's what I want to focus on this morning is the practice, is, is the pattern. Kind of every place that he stops, what he does is he pitches his tent and he builds an altar. He pitches his tent, he builds an altar. You know, he, he does it at Shechem and he does it at Bethel and Ai and in chapter 13 he does it at Hebron. He comes along and he pitches a tent and he builds an altar. Now, as this sermon goes forward, you're going to find out real quick, I don't know much about tent camping. Uh, but, you know, to me, when it talks about pitching a tent, and that's always been, that's always been a lot of work. I mean, you know, because when you start to pitch a tent, you know, first thing, and, and again, you all may know much more about this, you have to get to the tent site, you know, you come to the tent site, and, and what you have to do first is you have to clear away all the rocks and the sticks, because if you don't clear them away during the day, your back is going to find them at night, you know, and so you have to do that, and you have to make sure that you're not pitching your tent over an ant bed, and, and I'm telling you that, now that's the voice of experience right there, I haven't had much camping experience, but I have, you know, I've done that, that's not a good thing. And then you have to, as you roll out your tent, you have to make sure it's oriented right because, you know, the door of your tent, you always want to make sure it's pointing toward the campfire. You know, so you got to get that right. And then you have to come, you, you drive your stakes in and you raise the center pole. And I know they don't have center poles anymore in tents. You know, they have a nice flexible fiberglass rods, you know. But it, it's, it's just a bunch of work. You know, it is so much easier to go to the Holiday Inn, you know, but it is just a, a lot of work. And, and I, you know, I look at that and I say, you know what, it's, it's kind of like pitching your tent is what we do to put a roof over our heads. It's the work to, for me, is I want to take that as a symbol and kind of blow it out into a generalization. It's the things that you and I do day in and day out to put a roof over our heads. It's, it's the business and the busyness of everyday life. Your life and my life, I mean, it's the work we do, it's the world we live in, it's the worries we have. I mean, it's all, you know, it's all kind of wrapped up in that whole notion of pitching your tent. And so that's what Abram does. Every place he goes, he's, he's kind of living his life there, he's pitching his tent there. But as you see in the scripture this morning, he, he does something else. He has like a counterbalance to pitching your tent. He not only pitches his tent, at the same time, what he also does, he's very deliberate about building an altar. Building an altar is about creating, being intentional, being deliberate about creating a space, creating a place in your life where you connect with God. Being really intentional and deliberate about making sure that you're diving deeper into life in ways that you kind of spend that quality time with the one who loves you more than you can imagine, the one that Jesus called Father. About making sure that what we do in life is that we sink in with the spiritual that is at the base of all of our lives. And what Abraham did was he made sure that as he pitched his tent that he was deliberate in that discipleship in his life. He was deliberate in worship. Corporate worship is what we do today. But he was deliberate in worship and praising the name of God 
It was intentional in terms of prayer, calling on the name of God. He was, they didn't have the scriptures back then, but he was, if it would be today, you know, we searched the word of God. We searched the scriptures for the truth about our lives and the truth into which we live. And then we, we live in ways that we serve, in ways that we're faithful, in ways that we forgive, in ways that we share kindness. We live in what they call acts of mercy and acts of justice. We live into those things that help make the world more like God would want it to be. And God would will it to be. And so what we do is, is that we're really intentional. Abram was really intentional about that aspect of his life. Every place he went, he pitched his tent. He built an altar. And I want to congratulate you. Because as you're here today, that's part of what you're doing today. You are building your altar. You're here today. And part of your being here today is part of the way that you're connecting with your creator and you're strengthening that relationship. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing. I want to congratulate you on that. And at the same time, I want to encourage you in that. Because what you begin to find is that, you know, that's a relationship and that's a, that's a step forward. That discipleship, that walk in discipleship is something that always needs to be encouraged in us. We always need to be lifted in that need to be delivered in that and and you know it's we do that because I, I want to share with you you know things happen when we don't build that altar I was listening to a podcast just this week and it was a podcast about a pastor who, was, who had built a mega church and, and the thing was going gangbusters you know and and just growing like crazy and what happened is it was growing like crazy you know you would think man this person is really connected into God but that's not what the podcast was about the podcast was about as he was busy pitching his tent, as he was busy doing all those things that kind of made into what it takes to make a mega church. what happened was he forgot about building his altar. He forgot about that connection with God that was kind of at the base of everything. And, and as he forgot that, really what the podcast was about was about the consequences of that, which, as you can guess, was, was not good. And the landscape is littered with with pastors that this happened to. And, and the only reason I bring that up is just to say that none of us are immune. That's kind of the point of all that. That what happens is we all need to be diligent. Wherever we pitch our tent, we all need to be diligent about building our altar. You see, we build an altar because it helps us to hold on to hope. Building an altar in your life helps you and I to hold on to hope. See, life, as you go down that road of life, it has this dynamic tension to it. And that dynamic tension is between promise on one hand, life's promise on one hand, and life's problems on the other hand. And, and all of our lives has that sense of promise and has that sense of problem. And, and so having both those sides is, you know, that's just part of what it means to be human. But the question always is what's going to dominate? Which of those things, things is going to have like the upper, upper hand and, and things? And, and which one is going to kind of control how we look at life and our, and our attitude toward life? And the scripture this morning brings up the tension like this. It says that as Abraham came into Shechem, as he came into that, that first camping place, it says that the Canaanites were in the land. And it kind of slips that little line in there. 
And I want to tell you, friends, kind of what's being said there is that Abraham is following God, pursuing the promise, and when he gets into the promised land, it's like there's this big no-vacancy sign, you know, (laughs) full occupancy, no more room for you. The Canaanites were in the land. On one hand, that doesn't surprise us because, you know, the Canaanites, that's who lives in the land, is the Canaanites. But on the other hand, Abraham, he's the guy that's been following God and God's promises. So, like, why isn't the promised land ready to receive me? And so he finds himself caught up in this this dilemma. You know, got my problems, I got the promise, and they're they're both right here. And it seems like the, the problems are definitely outweighing the sense of promise. And at that place, the scripture says, that's a place that God appears to Abraham. And as God appears to Abram, what God does is God reiterates, God reinforces, God re-engages Abram again with that sense of promise. He says, Abram, I know that doesn't seem like there's room for you here, but I want you to lift up your eyes. I want you to look out. I want you to look out beyond what you define as as issues for you. You've got to look out. You've got to see the width and the breadth and the beauty of what I have placed before you and know that this is yours. So Abram builds an altar. And that's how Abram remembers that this is how God would engage him with that sense of promise about life. I want to let you know, friends, God's got that vision for Abram. God's got that vision for you and me as well. Jesus says this. He says, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. I've come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly, that life would have a sense of of promise for you. And and all of us have heard those words. The question is, we also can say, yeah, but God, look around. I can show you this and this, this problem and that problem, and, you know, one thing and another. And and we can point all of those out. God invites us to come to those places in our lives where we build the altar and say, you know, I know that. But at that very place, make sure you lift up your eyes. Make sure you look out. Make sure you know that I'm always faithful and true to the sense of promise that I have for you in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so building an altar is a way that we re-engage that, that we reinforce that, that we make sure that, that as we live our life, what it does is when you, when you build that altar, it, it does alter, A-L-T-A-R, your attitude toward life and how you engage it with that sense of you know, promise is, I can count on that. And it will lead me forward. We build an altar so we can hold on to the hope. We build an altar so we can hold on to what's holy in life. One of the things that was happening with Abram as he came into Canaan, he was surrounded by a culture that was not like his own. And that's not a problem. I mean, being around people who are not like you is, is not a problem. It's not a, you know, an issue. I mean, that, that happens to all of us. The, the issue that Abram faced was as he came into Canaan, they had gods. They had multiple gods. They were polytheistic. That was not like the god that Abram had. And, and what you begin to see as you, as you come into the Canaanites and read about their gods is that they had a god for just about every issue of life. You go into war, well, they have a god of victory. You need some, some rain, well, we have a rain god. Want to grow some crops? We have a god that will do that. Hey, you want to have some kids? We have a God of fertility. You want to have some fruit? We have a God of the orchard. I mean, every issue that you have, we've got a God for. You know? 
And all those gods, when you begin to read through all the names, you begin to realize that there's a pattern there that all the gods are kind of set up for survival and success. That's what God becomes. It's a matter, you know, when you want survival, you want success, you, gotta, you pray to that one, and that's how it happens. And Abram comes along, and he doesn't have many gods. He's got one God. And the God that he has is not a God that kind of focuses in and says, well, I'm about survival and success. The God that, that Abraham worships is a God that's about covenant. It's about living in relationship. He uses words like forgiveness and faithfulness and justice and peace. And those are the kind of words that are used in relation to this one God. And so Abraham comes along and so he finds himself in that position. Many gods, one God. One God that's about something that's very different from the gods of the culture. And here's the danger for Abram. The danger is assimilation. The danger is that what happens is that Abram gets kind of sucked into and swallowed up by the gods of survival and the gods of success. And he loses a sense of who he is in his relationship with God. And so that basically what happens is life becomes just about pitching his tent and that God helps him in pitching his tent more than God, you know, than building the altar. And so he kind of gets swallowed up in that dynamic of his life. So what Abram does is he builds an altar. And he calls on the name of his God. He calls on the name of the Lord. He reinforces and he reengages that this is the God that he believes in. I want to tell you, friends, the Canaanites are long gone, and you and I know that. But those gods they worship, they are just as powerful as ever. Those gods of survival, those gods of success, that swallow up, that suck in and swallow up, they do it just as effectively as they've ever done it. And what happens is, when you and I build an altar, what we do is we put in a counterbalance. What we do is we make sure that our, our life is larger than that, that our life is lived, yes, as part of our life, pitching our tent, yes, but building that altar and that covenant with God, we hold on to the holy in our lives. And we do that. And we build an altar. Because what building an altar does is it makes a difference. It makes a difference not only to you, it makes a difference to the people around you. If you and I want to make a difference in the lives of the people around us, what we do is we build an altar. I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. If you want to make a difference in the lives of people around you, it takes a difference within you. If you want to make a difference in your home, in your family, in your workplace, make a difference around, it takes a difference within. What happens when you and I build an altar? Because it's a time and a place and a space where we can come and we can again engage with a God who loves us more than we can possibly imagine. And what happens then is that that love begins to, to flow into our lives. In faith, it flows into our lives in ways that it begins to fill, in ways that as it fills, it begins to overflow, and it begins to overflow into the lives of people that you care about marriage, with your kids, with your grandkids, with the people at work, with the people where, where you want to make a difference, where making a difference really counts. See, what happens is we need an altar so that we can come to that place. 
that makes a difference within so we can make a difference without. Building an altar brings that dynamic into our life together. I want to take just a moment of personal privilege. I'm really privileged to have my folks here with us this morning, my dad here with us this morning. And, and part of the witness of our family as we have gone along is that wherever our family landed, and we lived in New York and we lived in Pennsylvania, we kind of moved back and forth you know, a bunch, of, not a bunch of times, we moved sometimes, you know. Wherever we pitched our tent, we always built an altar. Church, faith was part of our lives, was at the heart of our lives. And I, I can guarantee you that the reason I'm standing up here today is because of what happened in my home. With my dad, and with my mom, and I pray, you know, that it happens for my kids, and I pray that it happens for my grandkids. You know, I just, I know the difference that that building an altar has made in, in my life. And I'm grateful for that. And I know that you're here today because there's somebody that built an altar for you. There's somebody that, even as they were busy pitching their tent, wherever they found themselves, they also made sure that they built an altar. And as they built an altar, what it did was it, it altered you. It was an alteration. A-L-T-A-R-A-T-I-O-N. It was something that shaped you to being a person of faith. That's what building an altar does. It helps shape us to being people of faith. Holding on to hope, holding on to the holy. Our last hymn, what we're going to sing about is Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. And to me, the blessing is the balance I've talked about, the pitching the tent and the building the altar. And, as it, once you, and when we sing along, what you see is that, it, you know, Come Thou Found of, of Every Blessing, you know, to my heart to sing your grace. The second line goes like, or the second verse goes like this. Here I raise my Ebenezer. And y'all may have sung that line like me a bunch of times. Like, what is an Ebenezer? Uh, yeah, I, I was talking about Scrooge, you know. <laughs> what is it? Ebenezer literally means stone of help. Here I raise my stone of help. Here I build my altar where I find my help. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I'm come. I got to this point, God, because of your help. And I hope by your good pleasure to arrive at home. Yeah, the song kind of looks at a destination, it looks at home, but really what the song celebrates is about the help and the hope along the way. And so as we sing the song today, I invite you to celebrate that grace that's on the road trip of your life and my life as you and I pitch our tent and as you and I build our home.